0: Hi, thank you for joining us for this Fiber New podcast and installment six of six in a mini series focused on showcasing the various types of business models that exist within Fiber New. I'm your humble host, Jesse Johnstone. Anne Bennis of Fibernew Lincoln, Nebraska has been a proud owner-operator of her franchise for over 20 years. Anne and her husband, Pat, were the 13th franchise in the U.S. when they came on board in 2002. The way their partnership works is that Pat operates the family farm and Anne operates the New business. They will of course periodically help each other out on either side of the fence, so to speak, but for the most part, Anne runs the franchise as a sole owner-operator. In this conversation, Anne talks about the 50-50 split she's established between commercial and private work and how that helps her manage her cash flow in the business. We also touch on goal setting. We talk about Midwest customer service etiquette, building rapport with clients, how to this day she remains a student of the business, and what she's thinking about when it comes to eventual succession. Thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed listening into this conversation with Anne. Cheers. All right, I have the honor and the pleasure of sitting down with Fibernew franchisee Anne Bennis of Fibernew Lincoln, and thank you very much for taking time to do this together.
1: Yes, not a problem.
0: So just for warm-up, and as we normally do, can you just provide a bio on yourself and your business? Who are you, and what's the makings of Fiber New Lincoln, if you don't mind?
1: We are 20 years in the business as of now. Initially, when we bought the franchise, it was intended for Pat, my husband, to run it. He kind of wanted a part-time help supplement the farm income kind of a thing back then. Um, After a couple of years, it was not part-time by any means. It was full-time. So that's when we made the decision and he trained me and then he kind of stepped back and I took over and I've been running it ever since. So I'm a one woman show. We do a little bit of everything here in Fiber New Lincoln. I see all aspects of the business in a sense. I'm boats, you know, RVs, furniture, vehicles, commercial, residential, everything. So we see a little bit of all of it. Some of them I don't have as much in. Bottom line, we are a landlocked state with not any kind of a big marine area. So I see very little boats, but I do see a few different things like that. 50% pr- private work, 50% commercial is probably going to be your big breakdown that way. Overall, that is. And then size wise, I have a bigger territory, east to west, north to south. You're probably looking a good two hour drive each way. So it's a good size territory, but it's very rural for the most part. So We just kind of go where we need to go. And that's just part of it.
0: You were saying we quite a bit there. Does Pat still work in the business with you periodically or how does that work out?
1: He can, but as a rule, I'm doing it. But to me, it's always been our business. So I do always refer to it as we.
0: Gotcha. The partnership through and through.
1: It is. He, yeah. He's always been part of it. And even if he's not physically doing repairs, he still stays up to date on things. So I can bounce ideas off of him should I ever need
0: to. Going back 20 years ago, you had young children at that time, correct? We did. When yeah. we
1: bought the business, our youngest was a year and our oldest was what? 15, 16? So yeah, we had a big age span going on. That was part of the draw to Fibernew, too, was the family aspect of it where we could set schedules to what we needed them to be so that I could, you know, we could drop off kids at daycare. We could get kids on the school bus and then work my day and i could still be home to meet those kids after school on the bus the younger ones the older ones were probably going off to sports practice or whatever so we needed that flexibility and wanted that flexibility that was a big draw for fiber even when we initially bought it because then pat was looking at you know maybe doing some evening work you know around schedules and things so that part's never shifted To this day, I start my day at 8 o'clock in the morning, which started at the very beginning because that's when I had time to get kids off on the bus and still have a little bit of time to get myself ready to go out the door, and it just kind of stopped. I mean, obviously, hours have kind of shifted over the years, but yeah.
0: And then the other difference now is you're flexing your fiber new schedule around grandchildren, not children, necessarily. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's five
1: of them already, so... With the oldest being 12 and the youngest will be three here at the end of August. So,
0: Back on your territory and clientele and your work, how much is done on the road versus maybe at your shop? How do you, how do you split that?
1: It's probably 99% of it is done on the road. Okay. If I can do anything in home, I am going to do it in home. My shop is, bottom line, our garage converted out into a, you know, a workspace for me when I need it. And if I can at all, I'm not going to move furniture. It's heavy, it's awkward, and you risk damaging it more going in and going out of houses. As a rule, the only thing I do when I'm pulling stuff off site like that is it's going to be a big job, most likely like a complete restoration, redo color, redoing color, keeping it the same color. You can do a lot of that in home because that can be just touch up here and there. But when you got to really get in depth or changing color, that's another story. Otherwise, if I have something really small, I might pull it off. Somebody's got a purse, they got a pair of shoes, they got, you know. A briefcase or a purse or something on that order that I may do a pickup, you know, return it back in a week. And that I just, I mean, that's setting up a, you know, a small table and, you know, doing it in between. And that's not a big deal, but major stuff. No, I don't do anything. If I can possibly help it, I don't do it off site. I do it in home.
0: What about upholsters? Do you have partners that you work with in your territory? Yes.
1: There's a great auto upholster here in Lincoln that I work with, and then there's a couple of different uh, furniture ones that I refer to, and so that partnership has been very good. And once in a while, you get things that they don't want to mess with, for whatever reason. And there's, you know, it's it works both ways. They send stuff to me, and I send stuff back.
0: It's hard to believe you guys were the 13th franchise in the U.S.
1: in the U.S.
0: So that is incredible because now of course as as you know we're approaching 240 in the US mm-hmm. and at one point I mean you guys were almost the lone franchise in the Midwest. So that meant that you were traveling all over the place, wasn't it? Not just your territory. You were going all over the place. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I I put on a lot of miles because I went yeah. I had a furniture store once that sent me as it was about Four hours away because it was bottom line cheaper for them to pay me mileage and send me out to go fix it than for them to go pick it up, bring it back and, you know, do the same thing when it, to get it repaired. I I don't miss those days.
0: Thankfully we brought in some neighbors around you. So
1: yes, we can refer them
0: to other franchises, but did, did your daughters ever were curious on what you were doing?
1: the three youngest for sure, the older two, just because of age, they might not have. But the definitely the three younger ones went with me. And so no, it was, it was very eye opening to them. I mean, they all have decided not to go the fiber new route. But at the same time, they learned what it took for mom to do what mom does. And so there was an appreciation for that. So that, that's a good thing. I mean, there's just business aspects and different things that they don't normally think about.
0: When it comes to managing the business and scheduling and growing the business and doing the work and everything, being a lone operator as you are, you 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 do it all, you wear all the hats for the most part. How did you develop that that know-how in the business? I mean, was it Was it a lot of trial and error? Was it a matter of just, this is what I got to do? What were some of the things you learned along the way? Some of it
1: was trial and error. Yeah, definitely. Some of it was trial and error. Pat's got a lot of good business acumen there. So that's good. Reading books. I mean, you know, they always help. Joined a networking group and that helped. In more ways than just getting business, but the idea of sitting down weekly with other business owners, even though we're not in the same business, you can still throw around business ideas that go back and forth for this works for sales, this doesn't, and da-da-da-da-da. So that was very good for me personally, because I didn't have a lot of that business acting behind me. So that was nice to see how other people run different businesses and how you can put things together, you know, to make it work for ours. Okay, maybe if I tweak it this way, I can use that little trick in my business. So that was, I guess, kind of how I approach it. And part of it is just plain buckling down and saying, okay, I got to do this and doing it.
0: That can't so be replaced, good. right? No, it can't.
1: It can't. And let's face it, we all have days we don't want to do things. And we just got to do them.
0: Really, in your timeline of running your business, you've been through some ups and downs of the economy.
1: Mm-hmm. You've seen
0: some twists and turns of Major you know, what ones. goes on. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe let's go down that road a little bit and and you know reminisce on what those times were like. And, and how did you approach that?
1: And, and just plain things evolve. I mean, when we started, we did warranty work. One company in particular has huge, you know, presence in Nebraska. So that was one of the major ones out here. It still is, realistically. Back when we started, I could have anywhere from, say, 10 to 20 work orders from them and some semblance of some stage that I'm in working on them, being at, you know, notifying them to call set up time, you know, getting things, you know, waiting for that day to come, getting it done kind of a thing. So I could have a sheet of those. That was normal. And we went from that to now. And I don't see any anymore because now they have technicians out in the area around here. So I don't see any of that business anymore. I do some warranty work for some other companies, but it's not a lot. So we went from doing, say, 20, 20 to 40 jobs for warranty a month to maybe two, which is a huge shift. And so by then, you know, OK, so that's a lot of commercial work and our private work was very little. So it was trying to get that balanced out. And I think we have a great balance now, and that helps a lot when it comes to weathering those ups and downs in the market shift. It really does. And the other big thing with that is your private sales stuff. That's an immediate paycheck. That commercial side, you're waiting, you know, anywhere from a month to two months to maybe three months for paycheck. So it helps level that paycheck, in a sense, off that income and helps keep that more level too.
0: Yeah. I know earlier you mentioned you have a, about a 50-50 split between yeah. private and commercial. And that that's probably a really smart because like you said, the cash flow is always there through the private work. Yeah, But the ongoing and perpetual scheduling of work through the commercial side um, it is really smart. And then within that, you're diversified across doing furniture work and automotive and RV and and medical and whatnot. So kind of two layers of diversification, which I think is really smart.
1: I definitely think you need to have both in order to have a stable business, because I think your your commercial work is going to be great, and that's going to be your steady all the time kind of a thing. But you need that other small stuff, that private stuff, just to kind of help keep that cash flow going, especially at the beginning, you need to keep that up and have that in order to get started so that it can help you flow through that, those lows of until that commercial work, you get paid for it. When it comes, it's going to be great, but until you get that steady routine going, you need that private stuff coming in, but I don't think you should ever let up on it.
0: Through the years, and how have you planned and executed on goals?
1: Bottom line, I am terrible about actually writing down yearly goals. Are not you? Say I, I am. I'm okay. terrible about writing them down, very okay. honestly. At the same time, though, it's not to say I'm always looking at my numbers. I know what my numbers are. I mean, I go through and I'm doing sales tax once a month, which is what I have to do here for me. So I always know what my numbers are. I know where they're at. I know where I want them to be. So it's a constant watching, in a sense, monitoring that. I don't look at them daily by any means. I think that would drive somebody bonkers. I'm keeping track of that. And at the same time, I know what I want for the year. I know what I'm going to expect out of myself and want for next year. But it's not that I'm exactly writing everything down and having it as a hard set. that way but I always know what it is and where it's at
0: so it's etched in your brain it's in your thought stream and you check in on it it's
1: always in the back of my mind I know where I'm at I know where I want to be I know okay I'm probably gonna fall short this month okay what am I gonna do to help that out I might not be an immediate for this month but maybe that means I'm doing something to try and get next month up a little bit
0: We were talking earlier about the importance of building rapport with clients, uh, being on the phone with them, answering calls instead of letting it go to voicemail. Yes. Let's talk about that a little bit and your approach to customer service.
1: I answer the phone as much as I possibly can. I do not let it go to voicemail if I can help it. The exception to that is when it comes up and it says potential spam on my phone and those I tend to ignore. But I get phone numbers, even out-of-state numbers, because for me to get out-of-state numbers, I mean, people are so mobile now. It's not uncommon to have out-of-state numbers, out-of-area numbers coming, and it's local clients for me or potential clients. So bottom line, answering the phone is huge staying on top of emails texts that kind of a thing at the same time really honestly i'm human i every once in a while one of those texts especially texts for me tend to fall through the cracks i tend to get quite a few of them it seems like some days and so unfortunately we try not to let it happen but it does but it's getting on back on track getting in touch with people. If you can talk to people, you can build a rapport with them so much better than a text, and email, if possible. I mean, I'll try and I'll call people. You get an email, you got some questions. It's just as easy to pick up the phone and try and make a phone call as it is to email them back, you know, depending on the time of day, obviously there, but it just builds so much more rapport and you get a better feel of your clientele. They get a better feel of you.
0: And as we talked about, that eases the process of pricing. It, it makes scheduling easier. You're welcomed into their home with more ease when you do show up, right? It just moves yes. everything over.
1: It does. And it's it's 100 times easier trying to schedule something if you're on the phone with something. It's like, would would today at three o'clock work. Oh, there's, oh no, I'm sorry. I have something else that day. So then your next, you know, your next option. Otherwise you're going to have how many, how many texts, how many emails back and forth trying to get that set up. You can do a two minute phone call. You have it nailed down and it's not a big deal. You're willing to work with their schedule and, you know, they can appreciate that as much as, you know, them working with yours. I don't know. I like to schedule if I can. It's just so much easier sometimes on the phone. But obviously, it's not always possible, but it's nice to do that if you can.
0: And again, that that's probably born in the roots of your business. 20 years ago, people weren't emailing as much. Uh, texting wasn't really around, right? I mean, it, it was all primarily phone-based, wasn't it? So it's yeah. just something you've kept up as a practice. You are what I would consider a student of the business. You have had to adapt to many changes in, in products and materials over the years, but you're also an adopter of technology. You're on most of our weekly huddle calls. To my knowledge, you haven't missed a single seminar or convention in, in your tenure with us. You you seem to soak everything in, is what it seems to me.
1: Because I'm a firm believer of the fact that knowledge is power. The old adage, the more you learn, the more you can adapt what we have, the better off you're going to be. If you're not learning, you're falling behind the curve. And I guess I've always thought that, that you need to always be learning, there's an old adage that you're supposed to learn something new every day. And I think that's a good thing that keeps our minds sharp, you know. And so then it applies to business in the sense, if you can learn something new about your business, you're just going to be more ahead of your competition and everything. And that's what puts us, you know, ahead of our competition. And if we can't learn new things about the business, we're going to be falling behind. You're either learning something new and staying on top of things, or the alternative is going down, and I don't want that, so I'm gonna keep learning and doing and going ahead. I think the the conventions and conferences are great, just meeting people, talking to people. Sometimes it's not the sessions where you learn the most. I mean, the sessions are great, don't get me wrong, because I enjoy those, but sometimes. It's one of those, you know, sitting around, having a drink, visiting with other franchisees that you learn the little tidbits The somebody said they have brings up. I had a problem with this and somebody else. Well, did you try this or that? And the next thing you're going, well, that's so simple. And so I feel like an idiot that I didn't think of it. But that's the way you learn something.
0: Have you ever thought about adding employees to your business? Yes. Okay. Um, Tell us about that.
1: Have have thought about it at the same time. No, not nothing against anybody else. I don't want to be a babysitter either. I've heard pros and cons both ways. Bottom line, been thinking about it more and more just because of would like to have somebody come in as a technician to slowly learn the business that way when I'm ready to step back they can take over so thinking at it from that standpoint that being said am I planning on retiring anytime soon no i love what i do i'm not i'm not thinking about that but the reality is i'm also not getting any younger and i know that too <laughs> evidently by my grandkids, but kind of been thinking about that looking, but not really hard, hard hardcore looking like I have to have someone now just, but at the same time, keeping my eyes open, um, talking to people, somebody that would be interested in the business. Yeah. I mean, definitely would be very open to that.
0: So driven, Primarily by succession planning more than anything. Yes,
1: yes because I'm, I want somebody that's going to keep it going, that will love the business like I do. That's what I want. That's my goal because I don't want to have somebody take it over and six months from now have it you know, fall apart. We build a business. I have great business people that I work with, you know, Obviously, with having that much commercial work and everything, I don't want that to fall through the cracks. I, I know that letting go is going to be hard, but I know it's going to, at some point, it's going to have to be done. So that's kind of where we're at when it comes to the employee part of it right now.
0: Do you have any words of wisdom and advice for the sole owner operator, someone who wears all the hats in their business, does it all from the administrative side to the business generation and sales side to the actual work? What What's your sage words for someone in that role?
1: Always keep learning. Don't be afraid of technology. I'll admit my kids were just floored when they found out Mom joined Facebook because for me, I'm I'm not a technology kind of a person, and yet you need to keep up with it in order to it's a part of our world we live in. So that's always going to be part of what we do and we need to do.
0: Well, I'll vouch for you there, and I've seen you pick up almost every bit of technology we've ever released. You you haven't been afraid of it. So kudos to you I, for that.
1: <laughs> I try. But that's part of that education that I think we need to always be ongoing about. And at the same time, if you are a single owner operator and you get to a point where you are just stretched so thin, yes, definitely think about hiring an admin person or a technician of some kind or that. Don't be afraid to do it if you really need to do it. But at the same time, Enjoy the ride. It's great.
0: And then I think back to what you said earlier too, just uh, the, the best way to learn is just do it, right? Just don't be afraid.
1: You can overthink it and don't over, well, and maybe that's the big thing to take with. Don't overthink things. Just, okay, you know how you're supposed to do the repair. Just follow the steps and do it. And don't think about it for, you know, how many hours before, I think that was advice somebody gave me one time. It's like, okay, you know, you've got to go do a vinyl repair. You know what to do. You've done it. So maybe this is on, you know, a lot more expensive piece of furniture or something. Don't dwell on it beforehand. Don't overthink it. Just go and do it. Try and forget about it till you get there and you'll be fine. I mean, otherwise you're going to have all these scenarios in your mind and then you walk up to it and go. Oh, that was really stupid. I It's like a five-minute job that's nothing. And you stressed about it. So don't get worked up. You know, don't sweat the small stuff. Just kind of go with it. Everybody gets along so much better with a positive person. You never know. You smile at somebody and you can make their day. You don't know how their day was going, but you gave somebody a smile. You made somebody's day. You're going to be golden in their book without even realizing it.
0: I read once too, the the cheapest way to upgrade your wardrobe is smile.
1: Yeah. A smile affects your attitude in more ways than
0: one. Well, I think that's a perfect parting words, Anne. We'll, we'll go out with a smile.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for all of your insights and congratulations on 20 years in the business it's that, really incredible and, and we admire everything you're doing. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. We appreciate Anne taking time to have this chat and sharing her story with us. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Fiber New Exchange on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Music on this episode is courtesy of Peter, Bjorn, John, as well as Los Lobos. Until next time, take good care out there. Cheers.